A few months ago, uh, my brother Zach tagged me in a post on Facebook, and it was one of those, uh, <laughs> would you slap your brother or sister for a million bucks? Uh, he tagged me and my two sisters and said, I'll slap all three of you for a million bucks. Line up. <laughs> and uh, it was pretty funny. We laughed. But honestly, if, uh, if my brother was going to slap me for, and get a million bucks, I'd probably line up and let him slap me and say, give me some of the money. Uh, that's no problem, right? Uh, either that or else I would say, uh, I'd slap all three for 500000 you know, it was pretty funny because in the comments on, on the Facebook post, uh, all of my siblings, uh, we, we kept going back and forth. Well, I'd slap all three of you for this much. I'd slap all three of you for this much. And it, the price kept going lower and lower. <laughs> Not that we are out looking to slap each other and hurt each other, but the price is right, right? Even if it was $100,000, it would be worth it. So... Whether we like to admit it or not, we all have a price, don't we? Uh, we, we all have things in our life where we say, I'm not, I would never do that. But then the price is right, and we do. And that's because whether we like to admit it or not, we all have a prize or price and a prize. Anne learned it. Anne learned at one point in her life that everyone has a price something they want and a price they are willing to pay to have it. For Anne, it was a little different though. Anne always said, I'm never going to marry a pastor. (laughs) And then she met me, we started dating, we fell in love, and then she's like, well, uh, I either have to marry him and, and pay the price or I break up with him and let him go. Lucky for me, she married me. I learned it. When I first got here, there was a, a few people uh, who were part of our uh, uh, core members right away that said, you know, we'd really like a, a Lutheran grade school. And I politely told them no. But then I met with the head developer of Santa Rita Ranch, and he said, I'll give you some land for free to bring not just a church, but a, a Christian grade school to the area. And I said, well, the prize is right, and so is the price. And now we're knee-deep in all of our planning to bring this Christian academy to Liberty Hill. Everyone has a price and a prize. So my question is, what is it that you want? What is your prize? And what's the price that you're willing to pay to have it? Maybe for you, It is that you'd like a million bucks. Maybe it's that you want God to fix some kind of problem that you have in your life. Maybe it's that you want your kids to have the best in this world. Maybe it's the best school, best team to play on, uh, you name it. Maybe it's that you want to be valedictorian. Maybe it's that you want to see your grandkids more. What is the prize that you want and what is the price you're willing to pay to have it? Everyone has a price and a prize. And sometimes that mindset 
of everyone having a price and a prize even enters our relationship with Jesus. We have a prize that we want, and if Jesus doesn't grant us that prize, we have a price and we sell out. Now maybe we're sitting there thinking, I would never do such a thing like that. I'd never give up on Jesus. Come on now. I'm sure that's what Judas said as well. In fact, he did. He sat around the table with Jesus and his disciples, and Jesus said, one of you are going to betray me tonight. And each disciple went around the table and said, surely not I, Lord. And Judas was right there with him. But everyone has a prize, and everyone has a price. We continue in our sermon series today called The Ransom. And as I said at the beginning of the the service, we are looking at what Jesus gave up to set us free. We are in Mark. We are in Mac. We are in Mark chapter fourteen today. Mark is one of those books of the Bible that we call the Gospels. Uh, gospel means good news, and so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called the Gospels because it's the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We're in Mark chapter 14, uh, and and we are very close to Jesus' death, actually. We're somewhere between Thursday night and Friday morning, uh, probably around 11 p.m. or 12 a.m. Jesus and his disciples had just finished uh, eating the Passover and celebrating that festival that we talked about last week, uh, the one where uh, they commemorate their time in Egypt and how they escaped from slavery. After that meal... Jesus and his disciples went out to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus spent time in prayer. After he was done praying, he turned and he started talking to his disciples. And here's what happens during that time. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders. Judas, one of the twelve, one of those disciples that had been with Jesus every day for the past three years, hearing Him teach, hearing Him preach, being instructed personally by Jesus, he betrays Jesus. You see, Judas knew that these chief priests, teachers of the law, and the elders, these church leaders, these Jewish church leaders, he knew that they hated Jesus. Because Jesus was preaching a very different message than the church leaders were. The church leaders said, follow our laws, follow our traditions. You can't have salvation away from doing what we tell you to do. And Jesus says, no. Salvation is found only in me. Forgiveness of sins is found through me, and that is your only way to heaven. And so these people, these Jewish church leaders, hated Jesus and wanted him killed. And Judas knew this because Judas was personally uh, on the front lines with Jesus against these church leaders. And so Judas betrays Jesus and brings a crowd to the garden. And based on other descriptions from the Gospels, it's probably a crowd of about 200 men with swords and clubs. Now I want you to picture the scene. Jesus and his disciples are in the garden. He's talking with them. And they turn around, and Judas and this crowd are blocking the entrance to the gate of the garden. Judas standing in front, the men with their clubs and swords in hand. 
Jesus is standing in front of His disciples with His disciples behind Him. Silence falls over the crowd. The crowd is a little anxious because they know that Jesus can do whatever He wants. He's got the power. They've seen it happen before. Jesus' disciples, a little anxious because they're outnumbered 200 to 11. Uh, but also a little shocked to see Judas across the lines. And then, Judas walks forward. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. The sad thing about Judas is that he spent all his time with Jesus, but he did not love Jesus. It's incredible to think about it, it is almost mind-blowing that you could spend every day with Jesus like Judas did and not love Jesus. That you could spend every day with Jesus and then go and betray Him. For three years. Three years He was with Jesus. But now He's leading a crowd out to arrest Him and lead Him to His death. Now, Judas has such a vengeful spirit. Did you catch it? The one I kiss, he is the man. Arrest him and lead him under guard. Do you think the disciples stood there wide-eyed, wondering, Judas, how did this happen? How did we get to this point? When did all these feelings start to happen towards Jesus that, that now you're willing to betray him? But that's exactly what he did. He betrayed Jesus because he didn't love Jesus. And notice what Jesus didn't do. Jesus, having all power, did not blast them away with his almighty power. Jesus had the power to walk straight through the crowd like he had done before. They couldn't grab him, but he didn't do it. He had the power to call all the, a legion of angels down to fight for him. He had the power to simply speak a word and all of the men would have died. But he didn't. He gave up his power. And he let these men arrest him. And yet Jesus, even in this moment, continues to reach out in love. Jesus said, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Even in the midst of being arrested, Jesus continues to reach out in love. He tries to reason with them. Guys, listen. Every single day, I was teaching in the synagogue and you left me alone. You had no problem then. Why are you coming out right now in the middle of the night when no one is around to arrest me? This doesn't make sense. But Scripture must be fulfilled. 
And then all his disciples left him and fled. <coughs> what was Judas's problem? <coughs> Judas's big problem was that Jesus often becomes a means to the end. How did Judas get to this point? How did Judas get to the point where he was willing to betray Jesus? Well, what does Scripture tell us about Judas? Especially in the Gospel of John, we're told that Judas was a very greedy person. He loved money. And what was the Messiah supposed to be for the Jewish people? An earthly king, they thought. One who would overthrow the Roman government. One who would set up the the, uh, Israelites' kingdom again. One who would rule forever on earth. This Messiah, if He is an earthly king and He's going to be overthrowing the Roman government, well, this Messiah is going to be rich. And when Jesus, who's supposed to be the Messiah, comes and says, Judas, you want to follow Me? Absolutely, because there's riches attached to you, Jesus. You are going to be king here on earth. And that means you are going to be rich. You are my gravy train, Jesus. And so he follows him, expecting these riches to come. We're told in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 12, that Judas loved money so much that he weaseled his way into being uh, the keeper of the money bag for the disciples. He was their treasurer. And we're told that oftentimes he helped himself to some of the money out of the bag, stealing from the disciples. But what, we're, what really put Judas over the top was found in John chapter 12. About a week before this event happened, Jesus and his disciples were eating in a house, and a woman came in with a jar of perfume and anointed Jesus' feet. She poured the whole bottle on his feet and wiped it with her hair. It was an act of worship. For us, it's a really weird act of worship. We would probably never worship Jesus that way. But this is how they, this woman worshipped Jesus. What made Judas so mad was that this bottle of perfume was worth a year's worth of wages. And she just dumped it all on Jesus' feet. And Judas said that money that could have been sold and the money given to the poor. In other words, it could have been sold... I could have put the money into the bag, I could have stole some, and we could have given the leftovers to the poor. But Jesus condoned this action. Jesus didn't care. He thought it was a great act of worship. And soon Judas realized, this guy doesn't care about money. This Messiah isn't about earthly riches. He's not going to be the means to the end that I want, which is money. And so he went to the chief priests and the elders and said, I'm willing to sell out. What's the prize that you are willing to give me? Because the price I'm willing to to pay is God himself. Now here's the really scary thing that we learn about Judas, right? Sometimes the path to hell is paved through the church's front doors. Sometimes the path to hell is paved through the church's front doors. Think about it. Judas spent every day in the church. What's the church? It's wherever Jesus Christ is. Judas spent every single day in church for three years. 
Every single day he heard Jesus. And yet he came to church using Jesus as a means to an end. And when Jesus didn't grant him the prize of riches, he said, I'm done with you. See you later. I'm willing to sell out. You aren't giving me the prize I want, so I'm gone. You see, when Judas, when people use Jesus as a means to an end, they really love the prize more than they love Jesus. And we find ourselves as Judas when we love the prize more than we love Jesus. So why do you come to church? Why do you pursue a relationship with Jesus? Is it because you want to use Him as a means to an end? Are you hoping that He grants you some prize here on earth? What happens when He doesn't grant you those prizes? Do you sell out? Do you sell out? Or do you continue to love Him? We are all tempted to use Jesus as a means to an end, aren't we? We're tempted to to come to Jesus and to grow closer to Him, to read the Bible, to pray, to come to church uh, because we want some kind of prize. Maybe it's that you want Him to heal a loved one from a sickness or disease. Or you from a sickness or disease. Maybe it's that you want Him to, to fix some kind of marriage problem that you're having. Maybe you want Him to grant you financial stability. Maybe it's that you're, you're at the end of your rope and your life is a mess and you have nowhere to turn and so you're hoping that coming to church will turn your life around and your life will be better. Maybe it's that your life is good right now. It's peaceful. And so you're coming to church hoping that you appease Jesus and that He keeps you on an even keel and that He keeps the peace. And none of those in and of themselves is wrong, right? Jesus has the power to fix those things. Jesus has the power to grant us those things. But the question is, how do we respond when those things don't happen for us? When Jesus doesn't grant us the prize that we want? Do we turn like Judas and sell out? Or do we continue to love Jesus? What happens when He doesn't grant us financial stability? What happens when He doesn't heal our loved one from their disease? What happens when He doesn't fix the problems in our life? What happens when our life doesn't turn around but continues to be a big mess? What happens when a tragedy happens in our life? Do we sell out? Or do we cling to Jesus? Do we want some kind of uh, instant pleasure because we haven't... uh, Our life is such a mess that we could go for any happiness right now, so we click on that half-naked picture of the woman on the internet? Do we, uh, as Jesus isn't granting us the prize of fixing our life, do we give up on Jesus and say, see ya, I'm going to get more energy for the week and so I'm going to sleep in on Sunday? Do we say, God, you're not granting me the financial stability I want, so I'm selling out. I'm not going to come to Bible study. I'm not going to come to Sunday morning worship. Instead, I'm going to fill those, those times with working because I need to make sure that I have financial stability because you, God, aren't giving it to me. I'm selling out. Do you see what 
we really make our relationship with Jesus when we use Him as a means to an end, our relationship really turns into we are the master and He is our genie. Basically Aladdin. Jesus, we want this. Make it happen. But that's not what our relationship is, right? Our relationship with Jesus is He is the Master, He is the Savior, and we are simply prisoners. Jesus made very clear what His purpose was here on earth when He first got here. Right as His ministry began, uh, He was in the synagogue in Nazareth, in His hometown, and He opened up the scroll of Isaiah to Isaiah 61. And He said, this section of Scripture, I fulfill it. And here's what this Scripture said. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. That's what we were. We were oppressed. We were taken slaves to sin, death, and hell. Sin controlled us. Death mastered us. And hell couldn't be avoided. And yet Jesus came to set us free. Everyone has their price, and everyone has their prize, including Jesus. But for Jesus, it was a little different. For Jesus, He was the price. You were the prize. That's why Jesus gave up His power that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's why He set His power aside and He let Judas come up and kiss Him. That's why He let the guards arrest Him and lead Him to a place where He'd be whipped, He'd be crucified, and He would die. That's why He didn't blast them away with His almighty power. Because He wanted you. Because you were His prize and He was willing to pay any price He had to to have you. And here's the crazy thing about His love. Here's the crazy thing about Him paying this price. Is that He knew beforehand that you would still struggle with sin. He knew beforehand that you would still struggle with being tempted to use your relationship with Him as a means to an end. He knew that you would not be perfect and yet He still said, I want you. I am going to to have you because you are the greatest prize I could ever have. And I'm willing to give up my power just to have a relationship with you. And so he put his power aside and he went to the cross. He went with these men. He went with them. He died on the cross to set you free from sin, death, and hell. Sin no longer controls you. Death uh, has no control over you either. And hell you will never experience because Jesus has set you free. So, as we leave here today, what's our big takeaway? Our big takeaway is love Jesus, not the prize. Does Jesus have the power to grant us what we want? Absolutely. He has all power, all authority. But let's not love Jesus because He can grant us prizes here on earth. Prizes that will be here today and gone tomorrow. That can perish and spoil. Love Him because of His unconditional love for you. Love Him because He has set you free. 
Love Him because He has given you the prize of heaven which will never perish or spoil, never fade away, but will last through eternity. Love Jesus, not the prize. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your unconditional love. We thank You that You gave up Your power for us and that You loved us enough to pay the price to set us free. We ask You that You fill us with that love and kindle in our hearts that same kind of love for You. Amen. Please stand.